0: Architecture is brought to you by Pontiac Intelligence. Pontiac Intelligence is a demand-side platform designed for running high-quality CTV campaigns. With its proprietary bidder and a focus on privacy-safe era, Pontiac brings clear and powerful differentiation from the crowded DSP space. Transparent, low-tech fees, accurate forecasting, and the ability to manage thousands of simultaneous campaigns with ease. See a demo and learn more at Pontiac.media. That's Pontiac.media. Welcome to the Architecture Podcast. I'm Ari Paparo. We have an exciting episode today. We have Eric Franchi, our usual co-host, along with Adam Heimlich from Chalice AI. Before we get started, uh, I want to talk about our new Justify Your Existence segment. So today we have Bonbon, which is Elliot Easterling's new startup that many of you have probably heard of. Uh, We also have uh, an exciting conversation about Seismic. We're going to pour one out for Seismic. So (laughs) let's just jump in with Adam. Adam, thank you for being here.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. I listen every week.
0: All right. Good to hear. That's amazing. So as disclosure, I think Aperium is an investor in Chalice. Is that right, Eric?
2: Confirmed. So you're going
0: to take it easy on yeah. him or are you going to give... This is going to be like a board meeting. You're going to grill him.
2: Adam can take anything. <laughs> I think we've seen his tweets uh, and his LinkedIn posts. Yeah, I
0: prefer to argue. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he he actually does. All right, let's, hey, let's turn the tables. Eric, why'd you invest in that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we invested in Chalice, Adam, was it 2019? It was twenty. When did you do the suit? Twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was it was before the the big wave of of AI. But you know, Joe and I had had sort of long had this thesis that one of the next big things would be applications of of AI. So, so it was you know had a had a thesis on the on the sector. I had known of and known Adam a little bit through his years of working in the space. So for us, it's like you know, we we sort of take a a, a thematic approach in in sectors that we like. Um, and then oftentimes, uh, you know, sort of not, not not a rule. Um, but if we if we know the team, um and you know feel great about the team, we'll invest super early just on on that basis. Yeah, so right that was that. the reason.
1: Eric introduced us to most of the people who are still our angel angel investors. Maybe half of them came from from Eric and Joe intros. It's so hugely valuable and appreciated.
0: Oh, that's great. So
1: so what is jealous? Chalice is custom algorithm software. So I had a 20 year agency career, mostly working for large advertisers. And I noticed they weren't really benefiting from the algorithms, uh, making decisions on their behalf, right? They're usually doing a lot of manual work to kind of steer against that autopilot. Yep. Cause the pilot is driving to clicks and conversions and they care about things like lifetime value and incremental sales. So. I knew that it's better if you can have the algorithm driving for your actual outcome, right? Custom algorithms have always been part of programmatic. AppNexus was built with an endpoint for custom algorithms. Beeswax was built with a great endpoint for custom algorithms. And thank you, Ari, that was buoyed my spirits when that came out uh, and helped convince me that there should actually be a company that makes using these endpoints easier. So we've been in market three and a half years. We have scaled software. Uh, You could think of it as a data science accelerator. You can use any data you want. We don't mingle your data with other customers' data, and you can drive to any outcome you want. It's extremely effective. Now uh, we, we thrive mostly on same store sales We probably lose four out of five pitches. The only reason people don't adopt Chalice or software like it is, is cultural. It represents a different way of working. The person who might be sitting around making up bids has to stop making up bids Yeah, learn a lot about why. The machine chooses the bids it chooses
0: so okay, a lot to unpack um, it feels like you're kind of going against a trend so you all we hear about is pmax and AI and automatic results is is that a is that accurate that you're going against that trend or are you trying to reinforce that trend
1: well I think what's different about Chalice and maybe unique is that we we foresaw that there would be more rebellion or scrutining on the measurement right so Hey, the PMAX and most AI tools in advertising are very, very powerful. They're extremely predictive, but all they predict is clicks and correlated conversions. So it's like having an enormous gun pointed at yourself. <laughs> well, hold on. Hold
0: on. What does that mean? Don't most customers want clicks and cor- Wait, correlated conversions, you mean like view through, click through? Well,
1: correlated conversion just means that it preceded. Yeah, but there was a view that preceded a sale and, and usually that you get credit if it's the last sale. So you no, know, often that has, not only does that have nothing to do with a brand growth, but it could be opposite. So, so something I learned as the head of a training desk at a big TV agency is that those algorithms will learn to, to send digital exposures to people who saw the TV commercial, because that's what it's trying to do, like get an exposure and then a conversion. So they're predicting uh, that these people will convert and they will, but it's because they're influenced by TV. So the, the algorithm has, actually ends up having, driving less and less incrementality over time. Something I actually saw happen in the years 2016, 17, 18. So, so one thing that I in my head. Yeah. That, so my immediate reaction, like if I was a,
0: outside of our industry and you said you were building a custom algorithm on top of a platform like the Trade Desk or Beeswax or whomever, my immediate reaction would be, well, that platform has more data than you do. So how could you possibly be better at this when they have so much more scale? You're only working on behalf of one customer, not thousands.
1: Yeah, that's, I'm glad you said that. And that's exactly the thinking that <laughs> we, we need to turn around to, to really succeed, become a, as successful as I think we, we can be. So that thinking comes out of the mentality of a scaled software solution pre-cloud, which says if you scale a software solution, it has to do the same thing with the same data every time uh, without human intervention to get the best possible result. And that's why everybody optimizes to clicks and conversions. And all the data that's used by those algorithms is the data in the platform. And it creates an arms race around data. As you said, whoever has the most data ends up having the most effective predictions of clicks and last touch conversions. So if you're Uber and Uber is not my client, but I read their case study. If you're Uber and your business depends on driving incremental rides on the Uber app, um, all that scaled software is a disaster for you because it's going to drive rides, but everyone has the Uber app. So it's, it's going to take credit for all the rides that would have happened to If you actually want to drive incremental rides on the Uber app, you have to do what Uber did. They licensed beeswax and they used bid models to actually model to incremental rides on the Uber app. Uh, and they drove incredible results. Right? They had 800, this case study is an 800% list. Uh, and driving incremental lift, uh, incremental rides on the app. And then they found out the conditions where they could get incremental rides as the result of an ad. And it was sort of made sense. It was like a rainy night uh, and someone who uses Uber two to, two to three times a month, something like that. So an infrequent user, rainy night, show them an ad, you can drive an incremental ride. So Awesome, I mean, awesome case study. Right, it,
0: it was a good case study. I, I forgot about it, but thanks for reminding me. I'm, I'm so far out of beeswax at this point. But, like <laughs> you, but is it all about just different attribution? Like, is that the, the fulcrum on which uh, a custom algorithm achieves its goal is that you have no, better right, insight? For,
1: for, for outside the platform. Yeah. Data that exists outside the platform, whether, whether a ride is incremental, requires some input from Uber, right? There's often LTV will be in that model too. And Uber isn't going to send its whole CRM uh, to beeswax the way they can, they can give, give access to it to Chalice, knowing that we won't share it or use it for anything but their project. Um, and there's a, tons of data sets that live outside, right? In CPG, there's inventory data, what lives on the shelf. In awareness, there's there's data from the surveys. So having data outside the platform is something, as part of your flywheel effect, part of your algorithm, only became possible with cloud. And I th- I think that cloud is is bringing a new era of applications that are just much more flexible and configurable uh, and let uh, engineers and data scientists like like the Chalice team be much more creative about. Uh, how they stack microservices and reuse code to do a whole bunch of different things for different customers and still scale. Um,
0: so the second kind of skeptical view on the custom algorithm business would be: Well, won't they eventually build it? Um, so won't yeah. won't the DSP platforms? And we're really talking about DSPs, right? Will get better and better and better, and over time, like it'll eclipse the need.
1: Yeah. Well, it, I guess it's possible. Is I, I got to ask Ari, is that why you didn't come in as one of our angels? Uh, no, this I one? didn't
0: come in for the third reason I haven't gone to yet.
2: I, reme- I remember <laughs> our emails on this. This is going to be so fun. Much.
1: A lot of, So a lot of the ad tech exiters are, are angel investors in Chiles. We're very proud of that. And I get tremendous mentorship. And it really, it's, it's a huge asset to be able to get advice and that the, all these people believe. So Ari's an exception and we'll talk about that. Yeah, tables have turned. <laughs> Like, no, being
0: so, so a big pilloried for platform. not being an angel investor. All right. Anyway, no. no so why here won't here the DSPs here, here build here, here
1: it? There Well, it's very different. That's the first thing I'll say. Is it's very different. We see the DSPs. They have the scaled software mentality, and they even when they see us working, ask us to be more of the same every time. Right? <laughs> they say like this doesn't. This isn't our view of scalable. Like we're plenty scalable. Like we there isn't human intervention once it's up and running, uh, and the data is flowing. You know, refreshing every fifteen minutes. It's different than the way you do things uh, and it's maybe it's a little less predictable for you but this is a new way of doing scalable software and they i don't want to say they don't get it but it's clear that there's a big cultural difference uh, between the scaled software engineers of a dsp and a custom algorithm software builders a chalice okay
0: I'll, I'll take that answer okay now the third reason third skeptical thing this is the reason i didn't invest is i am skeptical and i'll say it for the record i'm still skeptical about whether you can create a big business as a custom algorithm, because ultimately the end client has to ha- share their fees, has to has to allocate fees to both the DSP platform and to your service, and there's sort of a hesitancy. If you're paying the DSP ten percent, why would I also pay you guys ten percent, fifteen percent?
1: Ah, yeah, that's that's a great one. So and We uh, we we address that in our investor deck, which you didn't even sit for, by the way, but that, that's okay. <laughs> Our COO, Ali Manning made it made an amazing slide. You know,
0: for companies uh, I invest in, it's a fast yes.
1: <laughs> All right. Maybe you'd seen this slide, but it answered it tried to answer that question of where does the money come from? And in fact, we re- we can custom algorithm can replace a lot of things. Right. So what we showed is that people are gonna pay less for audiences. Like 50% is a big tax for a static audience that's probably overstopped, right? We can create audiences that are custom and dynamic, uh, and we charge less than 15%. Then there's the monitoring. I don't, I don't want to disparage anyone, but they're taking a big cut for viewability monitoring and brand safety monitoring um, that I believe will come down. And then there's, and that's just viewability and brand safety. Then there's carbon emissions and other kinds of, of quality monitoring. There's, right, there's a whole bunch of tools that all could be built into a custom algorithm. We'd call it, we'd call it like a governance algorithm, Let's clients embed their values as the rules for the algorithm's decisions. And we, it seems to us, there's already a lot of money being spent on sort of point solutions uh, that we can replace.
2: Adam, have you ever quantified the, the, the human or, or sort of like people resources that normally go towards like manual optimization yeah. and, and measurement that, you know, you, you can then uh, remove and put, put those people onto higher value uh, things?
1: Yes. And people tend to not even believe us, but we have we have a, a true case study of saving a trading desk. I think nine people. Right.
2: All right. That that to me yep. is the answer, right? Because you just you know you, you do the, the 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 total comp of of nine people. You know you're you're over a million dollars, and I don't know what the ACV is for that customer, but I would think it's yeah. Well, the
0: conversation i've had with vcs many many times over the years or, or just people analysts is that why why should people be involved at all like basically it's ai it's ml rocket fuel did it we'll talk about them later but rocket fuel did it so like you know it should all be automatic and i love what you said earlier about steering against the autopilot because that's really in my experience what the best, uh, the best traffickers, the best clients at places like AppNexus and Beeswax ended up having to do. Uh, No one wanted it to be auto.
1: It's it's interesting. I don't know. I guess what I'll say is we've been steering with the autopilot for some of our clients for two years, some almost three. So like Chalice really thrives off same store sales. Like the results get better and better. And when you're steering with the autopilot, there's a lot of work to do. in interpreting the results, tweaking the algorithm, media is full of change. Uh, setting up more tests, getting creative insights out of it, just trying to figure out what's going on in the market. I think a lot of BCs underrate how hard it is to influence people through advertising. This is what I'm passionate about. I'm an advertising guy. I've seen a lot of engineers, data scientists, and money guys, bankers come into it, come into my industry uh, with a lot of arrogant beliefs about how easy it is to influence people. When you're actually doing it, we're actually driving incremental LTV for an insurer for two plus years now. It's a ton of, of work <laughs> to interpret results and, and set up tests and deal with the changes that come. And it's, it's, it's fascinating and, and worth human attention. Yeah, I mean,
0: even a signal like a click is not representative of what's really happening between people's ears when they see an ad. Advertising is literally working on the neuron level, and there's no way to measure that
1: yet. That's right. And we've been using these crude proxies and, and I'm in the world now. I'm i in the fourth year of getting past those crude proxies and modeling to the real signals of influence. And yeah, it's very different, very interesting. And it's great work that we encourage people did, to get so
0: into. So did we learn anything from the Cybids exit?
1: <laughs> learn anything?
0: Yeah. I mean, is, it, is that encouraging, that sign?
1: Oh, yeah. It changed it changed my world completely because now, now it's a real category, right? We'll like, probably be on the Loom Escape and... You know, I'd raised a lot of eyebrows. I got reach outs from every ad tech banker and got to go run my mouth about a graveyard and how we're not raising or selling. Um, so that's, that's been a lot of fun. Like it's, it turns attention to us saying, oh, custom algorithms are for real. Now Chalice is the independent leader. So it's been a huge tailwind.
2: Is, is there, should there be a bubble on the Loom Escape for this? Because, you know, from my understanding, there aren't too many other companies doing this. That are independent yeah. companies.
1: Yeah. I, I don't, you know, I don't see such a barrier between a generative AI company like Memorable and what we're doing. I think there's some technical difference, like the, with, whether the outcome is an ad or in Ottawa. It's the application. Yeah. These are just different applications. So I think the box on the Loom Escape is is AI applications that make advertising better and more operationally efficient. I mean, shouldn't agencies do this eventually? Yeah. I mean, I've come from agencies, so I had the experience of seeing amazing tools uh, built on the outside and brought into agencies. I, so two of my mentors and investors are Matt Greitzer and Art Muldoon, who have ran that a path with Accordant and Densu. So I, I saw that happen close up. And yeah, I, I tell the team all the time when they deal with agencies, we, we might be working there.
0: <laughs> All right. So let's talk platforms because you have probably more insight into the platform. So first thing is uh, really remarkable, which is uh, I believe you're the only company to ever get an investment from the trade desk. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah. At least Maybe publicly the, only, the first. Yeah. We, were, yeah. we have the first and publicly the only. Yeah. You're the first. So yeah, why did the they first. invest in you? Yeah. But, you know, they were unlike you. They were swayed by my <laughs> I watch. I didn't. I wasn't uh, friends with them, but I did have a relationship with the founders from being a big, early customer. I built one of the first big agency trading desks around uh, Trade Desk. So I was at like their early summits when the only agency guys were me and Jay from Goodway. And then we started seeing Omnicom and WPP show up and we had a less a less influence in what they build. But from being there early, I had some tour with, with Jeff and Dave and I, I you know, I, I, like they built multidimensional bidding and and the user scoring application. So I knew that they were in, they thought this way, right? Their whole pitch is around bid expressiveness. So Jeff had done a podcast where he talked, you know, he, he's also a competition advocate, which I am passionate about competition. You know, one thing he said is that he, competition should be around things like prediction, right? And not about who has the most logged in users, <laughs> right? Or who has a mass of user data it should be around things like using AI. So I brought that up in the pitch, but I don't know. I um, I wouldn't even have called him if Ali, my COO, who incidentally is also my wife, didn't nag me for months during our seed round saying, you should call Jeff. You should call Jeff. You should call Jeff. Like, ah. I've lost so much confidence since I already said no. I don't know if this I This is can. a great
0: lesson to yeah. anyone listening who I've said no to. You could come on the show and just abuse me. That's like you're... Oh, for, if i invest in you you have to be nice to me but like if i said no just come on come on the show um, all right so Even for missing let's the go let's go around the horn about the different platforms and their and their custom algorithm capabilities because you probably have more insight than anybody else right. so in my view the four platforms that have custom algorithms in any real sense are xander beeswax uh trade desk and dv360 and it
1: yep and medium ad one okay. will again
0: it will rise like a phoenix uh, okay yeah. so uh, you want to give us a hot take on each one like what's good what's bad on xander first maybe
1: yeah sure i mean they're not none of them are bad but they're they're different and i would say again they all have strengths and weaknesses and it's, it's very interesting right our software runs the same type of modeling most of the way and then the last part of the pipeline it it, it translates the model into bit instructions for the for these different yeah. platforms um, yeah, so Abnetsis was the first built and is well built. It's, uh, Brian had a lot of foresight in how he built it or had it built. No, it was, it was past Brian.
0: that they brought that
1: out? You weren't there, but anyway, it seems it, for something built a long time ago, it's it certainly aged well. And it's a it's a bonsai tree model, which is not the latest things in data science. So our data scientists say they have to you know they have to moderate some of the most advanced things they do to fit that. But it has a lot of foresight into uh, things that are really important uh, in making these bid lists, which are like really long lists of instructions. Like it has wildcards, and it has the ability to say anything that's not this. Right, bid that. Right, like that. That, that stuff's really yeah. Important.
0: Yeah, we used to sell against it. At beeswax, just we just say bonsai tree over and over again, and people would say, "Oh, I don't want to do that." Okay, well, you are,
1: you want to do beeswax <laughs> then. Right. Beeswax is is in a, maybe overall the best. It's the least limited. Which everyone loves. We've done, we've done, we did a 50 million line. Uh, there, and there won't, it, might, it might not be true anymore because, like, that actually costs the DSP, right? When you get 50 million lines to look through on every bid request. I don't know. I
0: don't know whether they're up to. Right? I mean, They're doing really well. So I don't know.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I know they're doing well, but I, I don't, I was, I was looking for confirmation that it costs it depends. the DSP. I like but everything. It's bad. It yeah. Okay. But anyway, it's, it's, it's unlimited. So you could, you could, You can upload a huge model, and the combination of controlling the bids and the QPS is ultra-powerful, right? If there's a filter on the QPS, no matter what model you put in, uh, its ability is limited. So not only do you have QPS control, you could also put in a pacing model have total control over the pacing. Yeah, that
0: was awesome. I love building that. That was cool.
1: (laughs) All right. Trade Desk. Trade Desk is... Is awesome, right? It's the most scaled software. It gives you the most service. Um, there are clients and they're uh, using it, using the capabilities all the time, which means they're a little better maintained. And you can find people who can answer really do- difficult questions about stuff that's not documented or um, that's incorrectly documented, <laughs> as we found. So, so they, they have a, they have a big capability, and it has something really close to bid models called multidimensional bid lists, and uniquely, it has right. user scoring. Uh, which is which is a gold standard for finance. Like we tell, just tell finance clients, you know, the way you have every household scored for direct mail with their LTV. How would you like to do that for every household in America on CTP? That's what we could do with a model. And to trade I think
0: both Beeswax scoring. and AppNexus have user scoring, but it's just like a little awkward to use, whereas the trade desk made it really easy.
1: Yeah, that sounds fair. Yeah, you said I know more about it than anyone, but it's the Chalice Data Science yeah, team. Yeah. Who knows the, the first? All right, last I'm, one, uh, tv 3 DV 3 is not quite a custom algorithm capability. It's they call it custom bidding, and uh, oddly enough, it's bidding that you don't control. Um, Google still bids. The Google algorithm decides what to bid. You don't even get to enter a bid. You get to enter a max, uh, but the Google algorithm bids. What you can do is customize on the value side. Uh, so you could give different values to every floodlight uh, on the page. A whole set of floodlights. You could you could put value weights on geos and devices and times of day. Um, it all goes in as a Python script. They're the only one that will let you mo- upload a model through the UI, which is nifty. Uh, and you can use the API and upload a bigger model. Uh, they give you some visualizations and insights of how your model is doing. They're the only ones who do that. And it's the least buggy. Like it, it always works. Um, yeah, the downside is you don't get control of the bid. So you don't get much cost savings. Uh, you don't get as much cost savings. It's most powerful to model the value side and the bid side. And the other thing is it's it's very sensitive. Like girl, Google is bidding with a, a very advanced neural net algorithm and looks to us like somebody's job it was was to just make the algorithm X more predictive by using a more advanced neural net. And what you lose when you do that is the ability to change anything without the algorithm needing two weeks right. to learn. That sensitivity uh, is a problem. Like in the media world, people do not like waiting two weeks for their algorithm to relearn and get back to performing after. The All right.
0: Change. This is if, in case anyone ever says the texture podcast is not delivering value, we just got a master class in custom algorithms. All right. Yeah. Uh, let's take a quick break Wait. and come back with the news of the week. This is a message from our sponsor. I'd like to introduce you to Publica by IAS, the award-winning CTV ad server trusted by some of the biggest streaming services and smart TV manufacturers globally. Publica helps a growing number of leading AVOD and fast services to power the programmatic ad break decisioning via products, including a unified auction, server-side ad insertion, and a demand-agnostic ad server built from the ground up around streaming. Head to getpublica.com to find out how they help CTV publishers to grow their advertising revenues and provide streaming audiences with linear-like TV ad break experiences. All right, we're back. So we're going to start on a sad subject, Seismic. Let's have a moment of silence for everyone's favorite company, Seismic. All right, we're back. Um, So let's do a quiz. Let's see if I, I did some research this morning, made a list of every company that Seismic had acquired or been acquired every brand name they've gone under let's see if we can name them eric you want to give us a start we'll go around good one
2: i blaster uh
0: media mine i have the list but so i'll just throw one in that you guys probably wouldn't remember i wonder i was gonna be my, my oh, next one adam, D, good one. dg adam
1: was did they, were they ever called amazon Ads oh i one?
0: didn't even think about that one okay uh, yeah God, I don't know that, that doesn't name's. count yeah. yeah and then the obvious rocket the fuel. obvious rocket right, fuel anyone else there's another there's another four. Did they, unicast, did they take yes. unicast Unicast I mean, the, that goes someplace else? Unicast the yeah. Innovator pre cached giant ads that took over your screen. It inspired me, man. Did you ever get sued by them? They were like really litigious with their patents. Yeah. No. All right, three more. there's one is a mobile DSP. Oh, did they buy it? Nope, that a was that was that's Viant. That no, was Viant. Strike hey, at. Uh, you're, you're pretty good at this. Oh, All right, shit. there's two more. Uh, I'll I'll just give you the um, Pure 39. Oh, <laughs> of course. And then this oh. one I really didn't heard of was Arify. You guys hear of Arify? I don't remember.
1: Do you remember the time that Seismic exposed every customer's data to everyone?
0: Oh, I don't. I don't remember that.
1: But... What? What? I do. What? Yeah, that was incredible. What a day. That was incredible. Right. In the ad tech world. You could just go through everyone's ad server account yeah Every it's
0: company. yeah it's sort of an exercise to the wow. reader to or the listener to figure out how much equity value was destroyed in this process it's easily in the bill i mean if rocket fuel alone wow. is in the billions but basically uh this company got bought sold disjor- disgorged dg is the survivor so dg got spun out into extreme reach so that still exists and pier 39 got spun out to uh, Mario Diaz uh, and his merry crew, uh, but otherwise, all of that went to nothing um, and is now shut down.
2: Hey, wait bit more trivia. You know what was inside of rocket fuel, which then became oh, part of this about whole X thing? X plus one,
0: right? Which is total, totally different from one X. Absolutely different company, which is owned by. Yeah, yeah I'm. I'm. How I'm am I'm deal. a ton of fun
2: uh, at parties, as you can
0: Yep. All right, so. Adam, I want to talk about your uh, Twitter persona because you're a little bit of maybe a bomb thrower on Twitter. Like, you don't want to get on Adam's wrong side, as we've seen in this conversation.
1: So let us let me start with the easy question. Do you
0: love Google or do you hate Google?
1: Neither. I mean, it's a company, right? There's a lot of people there I like. I I think the company is too powerful. And I get passionate about it because I'm passionate about advertising. And I think a lot of problems in advertising can be traced back to their conducts get frustrated that people don't see it uh they say things you know people say things that are indicate that they don't know much about what's legal or a, <laughs> or an ethical in attack or that they they've given up and don't care sometimes i, I get fired up i don't i don't want to hurt anyone's feelings and i don't want to be seen as as unkind or cruel so with my my intent <laughs> i'm sharp. Sure if i grew up arguing you know in the 70s it was this is my, my first, I learned to talk in a rough way. All right, so I'm going
0: to, some greatest my, hits. Here's some Adam brains. greatest hits. I'm going to, I won't do a dramatic reading. All this is right. from Twitter. When ad experts promote the narrative of a corrupt middleman in ad tech without mentioning header bidding or antitrust, they carry water for Google.
1: Yeah, I really, I do think that's true. I think I think a lot of people unwittingly t- unwittingly support Google's position. The best example of that is third party. Like if you think third party is demonized, right, that it's bad to be third party, That comes from Google. That's Google's PR strategy. Like they demonized the third party cookie. And then they said they're a first party when they're intermediating. They got that written into law, into GDPR. And it's ridiculous. And everyone should say that's ridiculous. When I'm reading the New York Times, Google is not a first party. Uh, Here's a good one. Um, It is a really good one, one.
0: I think the big misunderstanding is around what powers all the impression algorithms, impressive algorithms. It's like being amazed at engines and not knowing about oil. That, that's gold. That's a good one.
1: Yeah, people talk about AI and algorithms without thinking about training data. Every conversation should start first with the outcome. Like what outcome is this supposed to drive? And then what is it trained on? Right? If, you don't, if you're not grounded in those things, you can't have a conversation about-
0: All right, one algorithm more. Algorithms. It's Google's domination of ad analytics, specifically their self-serving failure to distinguish correlations from causal ad effects that incentivizes publishers to create more instead of better ad placements.
1: Yeah. I don't remember yeah. any of these. I, well, You're in a few state that when you I get think. in front of Twitter. <laughs> it's a, I just, I fire them up really fast. So it's, yeah, clickbait. Everyone is aware of clickbait. Everyone hates clickbait. The very few people say, you know, why is it that publishers can only make money from driving more clicks? Why don't publishers make money from having a more higher quality publication with, with more reach? to readers who buy stuff. That's what advertisers care about. And the reason is Google's domination of measurement, right? They they have an algorithm that doesn't care about quality. It doesn't care about things advertisers care about. And it pushes publishers to make crap sites. That's the only way. I
0: I, I don't know if you can blame Google for that. I mean, the last click, last impression have been around for 10 years before Google even entered the display market.
1: Well, then you must agree that it's a a striking lack of innovation that 20-year-old technology is still dominant. (laughs) <laughs>
0: All right, enough about your tweets. I'm just glad someone's not focusing on my tweets. So uh, let's go through some news. So I thought this was kind of interesting. Camelot was acquired by PMG. So Camelot has long been a very innovative, uh, independent agency. I, the news reporting didn't really give a lot of rationale for it, but but I thought it was kind of interesting. I'm not that familiar with PMG. Uh, Adam, are you familiar with these companies? Does have anything to add?
1: Yeah, a little bit. PMG, yeah, there are agencies. Camelot kind of had a custom algorithm narrative for a while. They were talking about doing more advanced measurement. And PMG based in Dallas, I got a friend there. I don't know. Yeah, small small agency. I would just say there's a trend of small independent agencies making. They also tend to be the most
0: advanced with the use of tech, I think. Yeah, Yeah, that's where the change will come. Yeah, Camelot is Invite Media's first customer ever.
2: Yeah, 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 for sure. I I used to like fly down to Dallas. That was always a, a really a good good market. Generally, uh, spent spent a bunch of time with them, and they they were always forward leaning, always like pushing vendors. Um, my sense from reading a little bit about this is that they've been you know really forward thinking and uh, strong in CTV. Um, so I think thesis around the deal here was was really around their you know their ability to 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 help catalyze. CTV and have a, they have a lot of relationships with the key platforms and so on and so forth. So I think this is, A, it's a great um, you know, for, for the team uh, at Camelot, and then B, um, largely you know, sort of like another another bet on you know, the future being CTV.
0: I was just uh, speaking yeah. yesterday oh at um, Programmatic Mechanics uh, Summit. Uh, they're, they're a sponsor of this episode, so I thought I'd call them out because they have introduced a new CTV, DSP, um, that's interesting because it's very simple. And that's kind of like what a lot of people want with CTV. All right, next. Uh, so the ongoing Google trial. I think the interesting news this week was Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella, who went into court and claimed that little old Microsoft has no power. They're totally defenseless. Everyone should, should worry about their, their being crowded out of the search Uh, business by Google. I don't have the exact quotes, but he said basically they have 3% market share in search. Uh, There's no way, he said there's no way for them to compete because of Google's virtuous cycle of getting more searches and therefore having better AI to make the searches better. He also said that if you think about it as software, search is the largest software sector. Much larger than office, larger than operating systems. That's kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, and what about Lowcock? I mean, Almost no one reported on it. I have no idea why, but this should be huge news in ad tech that the Joshua Locock, the chief media officer of IPG, went and testified and talked about how you can't really multi-home with SA360, right? which has huge implications for the ad tech case right? to see how the court reacts to this news that you have to use Google's tool, and Google's tool doesn't do a very good job of bidding in Microsoft search. I, I think Joshua... Yeah, right. No one's covered this. This is, is, SA, is this is, huge is huge SA 360 part Joshua, of i no. Is SA
0: 360 a focus of the case? I thought the case was all about distribution.
1: It's not there's it's, it's a piece of it. Yeah, that the, that you can't that the, there's barriers to multi-homing in the in a tool that you must use. Um so Joshua could be held as a hero like I I testified to the Senate. It was very easy, you know, the questioning was very friendly. Um Joshua went down there and stood up to uh, Cross-examination, for real, like it's, it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of courage. I think it was mostly alone down there <laughs> as far as on my side, agency leaders. And I just want to commend him and call it out. Interesting. To
0: to- so we'll continue watching that case as it evolves. So uh, Jeremy Gordon is out at Netflix. So Jeremy was uh, the spearheading the advertising. So Ad Age reported that uh, she is out. Jeremy is a female name. I I don't know her personally Mike Shields who's a contributor to Markitecture, in his newsletter I think some of jobs I'll read what he said um she's being replaced by Amy Reinhardt who had previously been Netflix's VP of Studio Operations and that was after helping to oversee content acquisition so clearly this is not an ad person meaning the person's replacing Jeremy It's interesting I think that it's not really in my opinion it's not really surprising that Netflix building a whole new ad business from scratch might be difficult and might not uh, immediately pay off some of the dividends that might have been expected by wall street or the ceo this seems like it's some news about this seems like it's meaningful news i guess i would say
1: yeah well well we were not going to find out what happened for for a while if ever it's a very it's somewhat secretive company they were they were among the first to use custom algorithms along with uber there was no case study but i was able to find some stuff out like they were they've set up some very productive learning loops between you know what shows help people acquire and using that for making certain shows and choosing what to promote in certain regions. So I, I think it's just an amazing company and I don't know why they'd have, would have trouble doing the sell side thing, but you know, companies yeah, lose I think their data huge. Science.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They've got a giant data science team. I think that your instinct that this, you know, feels significant is, is right. But also again, like the Atmos void, it's such a, you know, like se- secretive company. And, you know, you insiders that have that have you know, sort of like grown up there and, and, and know how to how to navigate could be better suited to, you know, helping to, you know, drive drive a, a new biz, drive, drive change. But they also set the expectation in one of their last earning calls that, you know, the expectation for this year uh, is that revenue is de minimis and they're experimenting with different pricing tiers and they're gonna be rolling this stuff out slowly. So I think they're giving whoever's a leader the the room. I gosh, I'd I'd love to just, you know, like talk to somebody there and and understand like why they don't go for a buy strategy. Like, you know, they they just, you know, could they could buy any company right. on the on the Loomiscape. Right. And, and, you know, rocket themselves into like a really interesting position from a, you know, from a, a buy side perspective um, or even a sell side perspective. Right. You know, depending on how, how you think about that. And, uh, you know, well, is that even a possibility? Because Netflix
0: yeah, is not, not very acquisitive as, as a business. I think that the piece they would want would be a publisher side ad server yield manager and there aren't any available for sale. Like the publisher side yield managers have all been acquired, you know, our 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 sponsor Publica, SpringServe, FreeWheel's too big and part of Comcast, Amagi is too big, is a big Indian server side company. There's really nobody out there, um, to buy. So yeah, but they, I, I think they obviously are looking at, at how to accelerate. Um, all right. Uh, so Eric, you wanted to talk yeah. about Facebook's generative AI tools.
2: Yeah. So they've launched like a whole bunch of tools this week for, uh, for generative AI. So um, I'll, I'll rattle them off. It's just, I think this is super interesting in that, you know, meta, Facebook, meta, you know, whatever you want to, want to call them. They're, um, they're they're, they've got their foot on the gas when it, when it comes to this stuff. So a um, background creation. So create multiple backgrounds to complement the advertisers, product image. This again, this is all using generative AI image expansion. So like have something expand to fit into a newsfeed or real or Instagram post. So, you know, taking the the sort of like fit and creation point apart part out of out of the the editing. Um text variation, uh productivity boosts, like, you know, people are saying that this can save advertisers and agencies up to up to fi- up to 50% of time. Like this is big stuff, uh, you know, just given the amount of spend that goes to 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 Meta across the various properties. So I think it's a neat use case. Of all that is being done with generative AI, and I think it's interesting to Adam's point earlier that you know, these are all applications of AI, um, but it's starting with creative, which again I think is like the the lowest hanging fruit with respect to uh, efficiencies to be gained from a, a a people perspective, and you know ultimately like if you move the needle on performance on creative. Uh, you could have some like really big impact because it's such low hanging fruit, and everybody forgets it and to the expense right. of things like targeting algorithms, algorithms, and and optimization algorithms. I.e., you know, ninety five percent of the time we spend here. So, stuff meet, meet, uh, worth checking out.
1: It's also the the best way for a network to compete with the open web is is creative, right? Like they that, they can innovate much faster, find interesting ad units, exciting ad units, new ways to get to grab attention and. And to speed up the productivity of their customers, it's amazing, you know, in, in open web programmatic, we have to wait yeah. for the IAB to approve appropriate a new format and then everyone has it. So it's really a, a natural advantage on the network side and it shows Facebook's competitive prowess. Yeah, in a that's, closed that's environment
0: with standardized ad units, it's kind of the perfect environment for using AI. And it reminds me of Marpipe, which is a company that I did invest in. And so does AI that does, does this sort of thing. The last news article I saw that I thought was interesting was a Financial Times article about uh, Twitter X. And uh, the crux of this article is that one of the factors that's really hurting their revenue, and we've heard so much about the revenue decline, is that uh, Twitter's ad business had a very large uh, investment in what they called Amplify, which is where Twitter sold ads as pre-roll on content from TV networks. So this sometimes you'll see on Twitter it won't be an ad it'll be like in the search tab there'll be like a clip from a from you know the previous night's football game or basketball game and you click on it and there's a pre-roll ad on that and and that's a very valuable spot needless to say apparently it was generating more than a billion dollars in advertising revenue and the problem is that Musk when he came in fired the partnerships team punchline <laughs> yeah. hard, hard to do partnerships without a partnerships team <laughs> So, and, but meanwhile, Musk is saying, and I've heard from various sources, that they're going to re- double down on sports, um, which kind of raises a, lo- a couple of eyebrows here and there. I don't know. I don't know if either of you guys have a thought about this. It just kind of sounds like a, a dumpster fire.
1: I went to the search page to see it right now on Twitter, and I'm getting this ad for the Exorcist movie. Yeah, that it,
0: looks like a scary movie. It's very
1: scary. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm, not, I'm not down In for that. I don't see Taylor Swift and IMAX. I'm not, but, wanna... I'm not doing that Exorcist stuff.
1: I think I can all right. I think we've,
0: I think we've covered all the bases. I think we're going to wrap okay. this up. Uh, Adam, you're, this was a great conversation. Uh, thank you for being here.
1: Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I mean, <laughs> come on in. We got to save for um, you.
0: All right. So good. please stay tuned uh, for justify your existence with Bonbon it is another company I actually did invest in, uh, and it should be interesting. So <laughs> thanks. And thanks, Eric. Thanks guys. Welcome to Marketecture's Justify Your Existence, where we ask early-stage ad tech and martech startups to tell us why we should care about what they're building. Today, we have Elliot Easterling from BonBon. Bon. Elliot, thanks for being here.
3: Thanks. All right.
0: Quick disclosure, I am an investor in BonBon, bon, but that doesn't mean I'll take it easy on you. Uh, <laughs> all right. To start with, tell us about the state of the company, where you're based, number of employees, and funding to date.
3: Yeah, so we're based in LA and Chicago. We have under 10 employees raised a million dollars, pre- and we're, <laughs> we just opened the round back up, so.
0: Awesome. So investors out there, contact Elliot if you like what you're about to hear. All right. Justify your existence. What is BonBon?
3: Yeah, well, BonBon basically is a rewards layer for programmatic publishers. And what we find is that the 1% of publishers who have subscriptions have a really sophisticated, sophisticated access to vendors and their sophisticated stack. But the majority of publishers out there really struggle to build engagement and also to build registrations with their consumers.
0: Okay. So you sell to publishers and you give them tools to capture registrations, emails, logins, things like that.
3: Yeah. I think the bigger problem that we see is that, you know, first and foremost, these publishers are really, they're basically subject a lot more to things like cookie deprecation. So when a publisher doesn't, can't set an ID, they lose about two thirds of their revenue. So first and foremost, they're, they're really suffering from around addressability. And number two, they're also seeing, you know, big tech also siphon off engagement. So really what we're trying to do is give them tool sets to do two things. Number one is those two levers for, for any publishers. Number one is increase more, more inventory. So building engagement so the more inventory is created. And number two is increasing RPMs through registration. So that's essentially what we're doing is helping build engagement and build registration.
0: All right. So, so this folds right into some publishers' desires to participate in like UID2 and and get emails so that they can increase their CPMs.
3: Yeah, exactly. So on the registration side, how do we increase RPM? Is that you know we know that when users both on Chrome or Safari are logged in on a website, the publisher can make significantly more money using those those new ID formats.
0: Right, right. So how do you do it? What are the what are these tools that help the publishers?
3: Yeah. So you can sort of think of us as as we build modals that are tag-based that can help put the right offer in front of the right consumer at the right time. There's two things we're just trying to get people to do. First is read more organically, and number two is register. And those things are done through a system of rewards that we provide. Um,
0: like what kind of rewards?
3: Yeah, so there's there's a range of things we've done. Th- everything from helping uh, you know raise money for the publisher, like donate to the publisher, uh, as well as earn towards things like gift cards, um, also things like um, you know winning prizes and, and earning towards prizes as well, getting chances to win prizes, those sorts of
0: things. Okay, so the, I show up on a publisher website, and may, the publisher can show me a modal when they choose. I assume it's up to them, and it could say like, "Hey, sign up for our newsletter and you know donate ten dollars to the Red Cross or something like that."
3: Yeah, it's exactly right. We're sort of really optimizing for two different uh, user journeys. The first journey is like getting consumers to spend more time on a site and explore more so they can earn rewards for reading and exploring more websites. We make it really easy for people to explore and read more as well as come back more. What we're finding is that we're able to increase, you know, engagement by 7% people are reading 7% more and they're hundred percent more likely to come back within five days. And then secondly, we're also kind of creating an incentive layer for people to register saying you know a lot of people don't come to a website to register and we think that that part of the reason why consumers are not registering because there's not there's no value there's no rewards for consumers and so we basically introduce the notion that hey if you register you can get a chance to earn something that's a value for you and fundamentally we call the business bonbon because bonbons are bites small bite-sized rewards when you call the company make money off your data because we don't think consumers want to make money off their data but they are incentivized by rewards, the single most successful program rewards is miles and people, everyone from the rich and the poor like to earn miles. And so we, we're really trying to reproduce that for programmatic publishers.
0: Can I get miles? I mean, if I could get miles <laughs> for going to these websites, I might do it.
3: Well, Ari, right, just give, give us a chance to like, you know, the, you know keep, keep making progress on the product roadmap. We'll, okay. <laughs> got it.
0: Can you name any customers?
3: Yeah, we, we're live on sites like Ranker, a couple other websites like All Women's Talk, so, dot com, et cetera, et cetera. So we're live on 11 publishers.
0: And how does the business model work?
3: Pretty simply, we basically, in seven minutes, we can give a publisher all the technology they need to log in and out users and reward users through our tag-based system. We essentially are giving publishers right now through our beta tests and free trials to test the technology out. And thereafter, it's essentially it's a SaaS fee.
0: A SaaS fee based on volume of, of yep. users or something yeah, like that? Yeah, based on
3: records under management. So RUM is essentially the way we're we're operating right now.
0: Awesome. Well, I think you did a pretty good job justifying your existence. Who should call you if they're listening to this? Publishers. So any publisher
3: who's not in the ComScore fifty should call us. Uh, well,
0: you wouldn't take a ComScore fifty if they called.
3: Well, th- we love them, but they tend to be a little bit. They, you know, they, t- they they take their time to right. uh, make decisions. Yeah. Justifiably, they have a lot more to lose than gain with any new tech vendor. So we're talking to them. They're gonna. They're, they're all publishers will be our customers eventually. But we know that, the, that it's more like mid tail programmatic publishers who have the most pain right now and, and are the most excited to take meetings with us.
0: Oh, one last question. I forgot to ask this in my last three interviews. Oh, if your company was an animal, what animal would it be?
3: Wow, that's a really good question. Probably like a dolphin, you know, making everything that? easy and smooth and uh, and yet, yet yet excelling at, at what we do. So. Love that.
0: All right, Elliot, thanks for being here. All right, thanks. I right, appreciate it. Take care.